Well, we enter into a new season in the church calendar. Uh, we enter into the season of Lent, which is uh, meant to be a season that prepares you um, to go for 40 days in the wilderness, a little bit like Jesus here in our story that we read today, um, but to prepare you for Good Friday, for Easter, um, for the season ahead. And so it's a time of prayer, it's a time of offering things over. And I thought that for our, our theme of how we're kind of proceeding through the season, that it would be both enlightening but also moving to talk about uh, uprisings. And particularly, how did Jesus go from being a peasant nobody to causing a lot of commotion in which the religious leaders, the Roman authorities, uh, are all going to lash out at him at the end of the story that we'll get to as, as we close the Lenten season. But they're going to lash out to him because he's stirring things up. How did he suddenly become an enemy of the state, crucified as a traitor to the Roman government with a sign put up, King of the Jews? How did he cause everyday people to stand up to institutions of power, um, whether that was the religious establishment of the day uh, or the Roman government? Um, but what kind of, of, of change, what kind of leader, what kind of uh, king is Jesus? And so I, I like the idea of the title uprising in part because it's a political kind of term of it's causing a, re a rebellion of sorts, um, but it's also hinting us towards the rising of the Easter story. And so we don't just have a rising story at Easter, but Jesus is already pulling people up from their everyday lives and pulling them up from society, pushing them down um, before we even get to that point. But what I want to do today, because this is a story I think we've spent a lot of time on if you've been in church in your life. Uh, this is a story that comes up every year in the lectionary calendar. Uh, it switches which gospel it's read from. Um, but I wanted to read this story today, um, listening for how is, how is it the story shows us that Jesus is worthy to be king? Like, how is it he, King Jesus, you know, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, how is he already worthy? How do we already see that at work in his story at this point? And so uh, I think we can learn about Jesus as king, but we can also learn about what it is to be a leader. And we often don't see this modeled. Um, but what is it to hope in one who actually is worthy um, of our commitment? And so our story begins um, with Luke chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, saying that Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and returned from the Jordan. Now, where we're at in the story, he said he returned from the Jordan, as Luke has shown um, Jesus to be baptized, and he's told a, a long genealogy, so we're like at the part of the story where Jesus doesn't have a giant following, he doesn't have disciples, it's just him on his own in the wilderness. So this is very, very early in the gospel story. And it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And the wilderness might not seem like the place in which you would suddenly cause an uprising of, of you know, where you would change society, but it's often actually the place of a protest of people who are, are leaving society and saying there's something wrong with it, trying to organize around a new way of life, only to come back and return um, with a new thing to offer. And so um, 
not only was it like historically just a place where uprisings happen, but I also want to point out that like God is at work in even the smallest places, even the most empty of places. Uh, and so Jesus is, is on his journey and even in the wilderness, God moves. And so there's no communities too small for God to be at work in. And it says that Jesus was in the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. Um, probably the person who most understands this, uh, Sharon Kabaj, with uh, not having been able to have a normal diet for a while, and suddenly when you have an opportunity to eat a little bit more, uh, how enticing that meal is. Um, but here he is, he's, he's had 40 days without food, and he's in that state where you feel like you're most likely to be tempted and I, I want to note that this is a scene where it says that he's tempted by the devil. And the Old Testament background for, for the devil is very small. And it's actually probably it would be an interesting Bible study kind of class discussion time. Um, I took a, I took a uh, doctoral seminar on demonology, which was looking at ancient Jewish texts of different kind of views of, of demons. And... Uh, uh, part of my favorite thing about that class was Dr. Orlov was, uh, is, is Russian. And he had a very strong Russian accent talking about all these, uh, uh, all these crazy demon names, you know. Um, but it, it was a really interesting class because uh, what it was doing was talking about how portraits of demons kind of coincided with portraits of angelic redemption stories or of... W- of contrasting demon things with, with how is God saving us and how is God redeeming and restoring us. So there's some really interesting um, Jewish stories about this. Um, but basically the background in texts like Jonah is there's a figure that's kind of accusing people and saying, oh, you think this person's faithful, God. I'm going to show you he's not faithful. Let's take away his health, see how he does. Let's take away his family, see how he does. And so that's the kind of typical early role that you saw in Scripture was that kind of accusing figure. And so the devil shows up in the story asking questions and kind of tempting Jesus of, hey, why don't you try this? And so um, we get to the first temptation. And uh, I would kind of phrase this as the temptation to take and consume whatever you need. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, using people and other things for your own benefit is a very big temptation for those with power, of ignoring what everybody needs, what everybody's going through, I'm just going to take because it's going to benefit me. And so that's the very first temptation, and too often people do get thrown away at the mercy of the powerful. If you want a biblical example story, think back about King David and when he decided he wanted Bathsheba and his situation went out of control from his perspective, uh, he decided that Bathsheba's husband Uriah the Hittite was expendable. Let me send him off to war, send him to the front lines so that I can take what I want and that people won't know what happened. Someone in our own community was sharing that they had their own kind of story like this in which uh, a local draft board decided that they liked somebody and thought they'd send their husband off to war. Uh, People do that kind of thing. 
they, they abuse power to take whatever they want. And, and that's a very big temptation. And too many, too many people fall for that. But Jesus' response, Jesus answered, it is written, one does not live by bread alone. There's more to life than this one thing you really, really, really want in this moment. So when you haven't ate in a long time and that big meal's in front of you, there's more important things than just that. Um, whatever you get fixated on, there's always something more. Uh, that fixation on that one thing tempts us down the wrong path. And it's not that food's bad. It's not that that one thing's bad. It's that I'll do anything for that one thing usually can get us into trouble. And so there's more, than, more to life than that, that one thing. And Jesus' rejection of the devil's temptation um, doesn't deter the devil just yet in the story. The second temptation is, bow to me and I'll give you power. What would you do to take power? So Luke 4, 5 through 7 says, Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. We live in a system uh, that is very influenced by lobbyists. We see this offer given all of the time, where lobbyists who make more money than the politicians that they're trying to lobby um, come with loads of cash and say, you know, if you just vote this one way, I'll give you the money, the votes, the power. Just, you know, it's harmless. Just do what I ask and I'll give you anything. Now, that's true no matter how good or how bad the issue, no matter which direction you feel on the issue they're lobbying for, um, whether that's you know, emissions or pharmaceuticals or uh, uh, weapon stances or whatever it is, if you vote my way, I'll give you everything. And some of the people with the best intentions realize that at the scale of money you need to be in office in today's society, that maybe, well, I can take that little cash there and that one. And, um, and next thing you know, they're not necessarily leading in the way that they initially said they were going to lead. And so there's that temptation in the world. And in the church world, there's sometimes that same kind of thing. Like, you know, pick whatever the need is. You know, that, that heater that needs fixing or uh, whatever it is that, at that moment. But there's that temptation to say, you know, if you want that, I can write that check. But here's some things that I need in return for that check. Uh, he, here, here's what I need on that. And so there's a temptation for any situation of leading in which you say, hey, if you just bow to me on this thing, look what you get. I'll give you the power. I'll give you the authority. I'll honor. And so too many leaders end up swayed by that promise of power. And they live their lives then swayed by the dollar bill. And so regardless of whether... Uh, regardless of whatever it is to do to, for the people that work for you, like, like maybe I was trying to help the people that work for me, maybe I'm trying to work, help the people that I serve, um, those people end up going to the back of my interests and concerns because it's the one who helped get me the power that I then become the servant of. And so, in that temptation, 
Jesus answers the devil, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. What is it to have the mission of God and God as king, front and center, where you don't bow to whatever comes your way and offers you that other little opportunity to get ahead, but you keep your allegiance to the one worthy of allegiance. And so it's easy to become distracted by other idols in the pursuit of power and authority. And it's hard to keep that path um, of truth and a, a virtue that God is inspiring us towards. And so leaders and all of us would do well to take Jesus' example and put our true focus, our true purpose, our true worship in God. And so when that, when that offer comes, say, you know, um, I'm not up for that kind of arrangement. Like, here's the mission that, that God has for me and that I work for and that I, and I worship God alone. Um, I'd love to partner with you, but I, I, can't, I can't enter into this kind of arrangement. And so, that's not enough to deter the devil in the story yet. The last temptation is, use your power because you can. Which is really one of the, uh, the more challenging ones to experience of someone who just throws their power on just simply because they have the power to do it. And Luke 4, 9-11 through 11 says that then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And I love that part of that first temptation here, part of that temptation here is a temptation to use scripture for whatever you want it to use it for. Of uh, Jesus keeps quoting scripture back to the devil in the story. And so the devil then at the end goes, okay, let me quote some text back. If this is the case, um, then just do this. And so we all, um, no matter how small the power that we have in our lives, we all have some level of power and choices, um, and we can make Scripture warp to whatever we want it to warp to. Pick out your little excerpt verse, use it however you need to. Um, but there's, and there's a temptation to say, well, there's no law against this. Like, it says these positive things. I don't see anything against this thing. Uh, if there's no rule against it, no explicit rule, then, you know, what's wrong with it? Um, and, and then there's just that temptation just to show it off. You have this choice. You can do it. You can do whatever you want. And, and we see that in, you know, there's an ongoing challenge with writing laws in any society that humans are creative and finding new things to do wrong. And you can, it seems like you can never come up with enough rules that actually limit every single situation. And so sometimes someone does something that seems really terrible, and you're like, ah, oh, they're going to get punished for that. And you realize, oh, there's actually no law explicitly saying you can't do that. And so then you, you fall back on, well, I hope that they care about virtue and that they care about being good and right. And so they'll, they'll step aside and they'll, they'll back out of something when they've done something wrong. But as we learn and that's not always what happens. Some people uh, don't feel any sort of shame or guilt or, or problems based on some of the bad things that they've done. Um, and so people look for, well, there's no rule against this. Uh, and so the temptation here is, you know, this one text says, God will never let anything harm you. So just jump. God won't let anything happen to you. 
Um, and so it's taking a characteristic of God and pushing it to the test. And so Jesus responds, it is also said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so there's a temptation here to prove that God wants to protect you. Um, hey, go show everybody. Jump. Let them see that God's going to protect you. And Jesus says that that's, that's not the way to go. God has a stance of protection, of care for all of us. But it's not a blatant statement to say that there's no sort of possible harm ever coming our way. Just because God is at work in our lives in the world and wants to make the world a better place doesn't mean that there's also still some horrific moments that still happen. And so even though this is a characteristic of God, why put God to the test? And I also appreciate that this, this challenge is also like an identity challenge. When the devil's questioning Jesus, he's questioning his identity. He says, um, throughout the story, things like, if you are the son of God, if you are God's anointed, if you are the Messiah, the king to come, then turn these stones to bread, then bow down and I'll give you everything. Throw yourself from the temple and prove it. But people with true power don't live in fear about whether they have it or not. You know, it, who, who are the dogs that bark the loudest? Tends to be the tiny ones, right? It's the little terriers, the spaniels, the dachshunds, chihuahuas. Um, it's those smallest dogs that love to put up a good bark. Whereas you bring in the St. Bernard, the Great Dane, some of those big dog breeds in the room, they just kind of strut, they just know. I don't have to put on a show. I'm the big dog in the room. And so, you know, hey, if, you, if you're really the son of God, if you've got that power, why don't you do this to that? You know, true leaders, true godly people, most modeled in Jesus, you don't have to flaunt power. You don't have to throw it around. Um, Jesus is not scared about his stance with God in the story. And so um, it's important to know that the honor and respect that comes with authority doesn't need to be flaunted or touted around. Um, I often say, like, if you have to tell people you're a leader, like, if you have to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm the leader here, it's usually not a good sign. Uh, if you have to, like, speak that into reality in front of people. Um, and, you know, just to kind of, to be honest, and, like, to step back on, for my own situation, uh, it's why uh, I, I feel somewhat uncomfortable at some of the kind of traditional things about pastors. Um, I don't think that these are wrong things, but I'm just going to mention of some of the ways that I, I can feel uncomfortable of. I don't, I don't feel like I have to tout a position in any sort of way, because I want to emphasize how we are all on God's mission together. We are all ministers of God. Um, and I hope that I can be a guide on your journey. But um, it, you can tell like podium sizes are a little bit different in this space. Um, and, and there's a very big tradition in that of like, there's the pulpit that the pastor speaks from and everyone else goes to the little pulpit. Um, and, and that makes me feel a little uncomfortable because I don't want to create that image for you of, of I'm somewhat different in this other kind of way. Um, you know, I, you know, you know that I, I don't necessarily throw reverend around a lot, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, 
I, I'm also conscientious of when I'm sitting up here. Hey, Logan. Uh, <laughs> um, versus sitting with you. Like, I don't want people to have the image like we are different. Um, I, I want to be uh, one of the community um, and hopefully a guide uh, for us on our journey. But I get that some people, it, it's kind of a place of privilege because some people weren't, aren't seen as pastor in the same kind of way. And so I know like for some of my uh, uh, women colleagues, they struggle with the fact that, that some communities or their community don't necessarily always see them as pastor in the same kind of way. And so um, using the title more or using other kinds of imagery is meant to help people come to a place where they are seen in that status. Um, and so, again, I don't want to say that there are things that are right or wrong. It's just being conscious and aware of the ways in which um, special statuses or authority or those kinds of things are presented to people. And so, um, you know, there's, there's this temptation that you've got to show off you know, authority or power and that kind of thing. And, and that's a little bit of what's going on in the story of, hey, God says you have this special, unique protection. Go throw yourself off the temple. Let everybody see it. And Jesus responds and rebukes that mentality. And so, Jesus answers again, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so, in the story, Jesus holds up as the model example, the model leader, the king that's worthy of your allegiance, of our lives, of our, of our faith journeys, who doesn't bow to the special interest groups of whatever kind, um, who has the moral uh, compass, the weight, the value, the, the right direction, uh, who doesn't use people for his own benefit just as expendable people, who doesn't throw his position around, but walked as a peasant without a place to stay, living and, and, and walking with people that people said you shouldn't be around. And so the story ends with the devil departing, and it doesn't just say departing, but departing for a more opportune time. And so some of us, uh, that opportune times when you're hungry or depleted, sometimes it's when you're striving for one thing and you can't get that one thing that you don't have off of your mind. If I could just have, fill it in. If I could just have that, all would be okay. And the, temptation, and the temptation is to do whatever it takes just to get there. So my prayer for you is that you would find support, that you would find that support in your family, in your friendships, in this church, and ultimately with God, so that whenever temptations come, whenever that opportune moment is, you will have the support needed to make it through. And even more so, I hope that in a world full of flawed leaders, you would trust yourself evermore to follow the leader who has no strings attached, who's not self-seeking, but who leads with a mission and a purpose. Jesus is worthy of an uprising to turn the world upside down. And may the season of Lent be a reminder to all of us that in the wilderness journey of life, Christ serves as the great guide forgiving and faithful, even when we fail. Would you pray with me? Lord, 
I don't know who in this room uh, might be in wilderness moments for themselves. Um, Lord, I hope that your example, but also your, your sustaining spirit might move in anyone's lives who are in that midst of that wilderness. Lord, I ask that all of us would be faithful to you, that we would um, support those in the wilderness as opposed to tempting them. Lord, I ask that you would just prepare us as we make our way towards Good Friday and Easter, Lord, that you would just help us um, to appreciate, to be prayerful of all the ways in which um, you are drawing us forward. And it's in your name that I pray. Amen.